good morning. Welcome to Battleground Community Church. I would ask you to go ahead and uh, take your Bibles, open it to Psalm 69. Psalms 69. We're going to take two weeks and sort of look through Psalm 69 together. As you're finding your place, let me just pastorally help you with maybe some of the things going on in in your world and in life. Uh, Remember with me a a conversation that Jesus had in Mark chapter 9. There were some people that was casting out demons. And, And the disciples came to Jesus and said, We tried to stop them because they're not following with us. You know, they're not one of the boys. And But Jesus said in verse 39, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterwards to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. And so, what do we do with what we've been seeing that God is doing amongst our young people. My dad always still does like to have a garden, and so we sort of grew up always um, having a garden, tending to that garden. Anybody know what a hoe is? You know, yeah, some of us use the hoe. I've used it. I used the hoe a lot of the times. You don't use a hoe to dig up the seeds. You use a hoe to dig up the weeds to put the soil around the plant. And so the warning is, are you going to water the seed? Are you going to hoe it up? How we hoe it up is with our mouth. It's with our attitude that we tend to hoe up good things God is doing in this world simply because they make us uncomfortable with the status quo. We do not pluck up the seeds We throw the seeds. We water the seeds. We tend the ground. Remember, the devil is the one to pluck it up, and we dare not be an instrument of him this morning. Are you going to make sure that someone's zeal is a zeal with knowledge, or are you going to become one of the scoffers? Are we going to sit idly by and criticize? Are we going to roll up our sleeves, open up our Bibles, and get to work, brothers? Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. The greatest failure in the history of the church was when the Holy Spirit began to move and the, and the church failed to make disciples. So, just a warning this morning and not disconnected from this passage. Don't repeat the failure of the past. Learn from it. So, Psalm 69. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to read it all this morning. If I don't get done, we're just going to pick up where I left off, where I leave off next week. Psalm 69, I'm going to read the first 18 verses. This is a psalm of David. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters. The floods sweep over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for God. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. 
Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal, must I now restore? Oh God, you know my folly, the wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Let those who hope in you be put not to shame through me, O Lord of hosts. Let not those who seek you be brought to honor, dishonor through me, O God of Israel. For it is for your sake that I have borne reproach. That dishonor has covered my face. For I have become a stranger to my brothers and aliens to my mother's sons. For the zeal of your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I, became, when I made sackcloth of my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the talk of those who sit at the gate, and the drunkards make songs about me. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Deliver me from the sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me or the deep swallow me up or the pits. Close his mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide your face from your servant. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul. Redeem me. Ransom me because of my enemies. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, as we... Move from Psalm 68 to Psalm 69. We see this connection between our celebration to our sorrow is sometimes rather abrupt in our life. And so, Lord, we, we come to you maybe in celebration. We may be in sorrow. We may be in a combination of both today. And so, Lord, wherever we are, teach us, we pray, that your word is always new. It is always good for us every morning it is corrective it is comforting it is strengthening so lord we pray to set your power on us today that comes through your presence we cannot manufacture that god we will not have it if you do not give it so give it to us god we have gathered in expectancy of your presence. For that is where your power is. That is where your comfort is. That is where your shalom is. So give it to your people today. We ask for it and we pray for it in faith. In the name of Jesus. Your son. Amen. You can be seated. We have, like I prayed, went from celebration to lamentation. Just like a snap. <laughs> From a mountaintop to a valley overnight. You wake up, you go to bed with a good day. And you wake up and everything sort of went to pieces. 
Life happens that way. That's why the Bible tells us about that. Have, have you ever been having a season like that and get kicked while you're down? That's sort of what David's experienced. Now, not only is he going through a season that is tough, those who had, that should have come to stand beside of him are some of the very ones who are kicking him. It is the warning at the beginning when we, when we see the work of God in somebody's life. We can, like starting a fire, just blow it completely out. <sighs> or we can blow on it gently to see that that ember turns into a flame. How can we do that? Sometimes with our analytical, we know it all questions. When, some, when somebody's being worked on by God, they don't need all of your, I got all the answers, asking them 20 questions. Half the time, they don't know what God's doing. That's what it oftentimes feels like when God begins to move in a person's life can be overwhelming, just absolutely confusing. David has went through the mountain tops and he's went through the valleys. We don't know what he's going through here. We know his life, what it went through. We don't know a lot of what went on to his life. All we know is sometimes at the worst moments in his life, instead of people that should have helped him, they just join the other side and they're scoffing. And that was the pain that hurt the worst. And so, what I want you to see this morning is a flow. We're going to look at it this week and next week. David, Jesus, us. David's life, how it points to Jesus, and how it informs our life. That's the common connection. Unbearable suffering. In David's life, in Jesus' life, and in our life. It can look like anything. It can look like cancer. It can look like retirement. It can look like what happens at your occupation. Here's what I found in the midst of that. I know you see this. That people who go through similar things for you creates a point of connection. People who have cancer... Connect up together. People in this church have done that with me. When you retire, and, and what you'll find is what connects you more than the good things is the hard parts of these, of these things. The hard parts of your job. The, the hard parts of a particular loss. That's what... That's the reason why David in our life, when he's lamenting, he connects with us on his personal way because we connect in the midst of the heart of our lives and see something that we all go through. Not only that, it's one of the reasons why Jesus put the human nature on, stepped into time and space to live a life. I want us to see three things this morning. David's sorrow was due to a situation that led him to a solution. Sorrow, situation, solution. I also wanted to see in Jesus, I want you to see parallel as we study. 
So you're going to have to love, me, love God with your mind today and with your Bibles because we're not just going to look at David's life. We're also going to look at Jesus' life and we're going to look at your life as we go this morning. Main idea, when David suffered unjustly, he persevered through trust-filled prayer to his God waiting for deliverance. David's sorrow we can see in these first four verses. He is overwhelmed and he is outnumbered. Verse 1, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the deep mire. And, and so he's giving you two word pictures there. One is like that of being in the ocean where you can't keep your head above water. But even the more desperate picture is to be stuck in the mud, so to speak, uh, or even in quicksand, to where you're sinking. You could make an attempt to swim in the water, but just get stuck in the mud and try to swim your way out of it. That's sort of what he feels. One commentator said this, In the water one might swim, but in mud all struggling is hopeless. He is weary, verse 3. He's, I know we've all experienced this. I am all cried out. I would cry. I just don't have any more tears left. I've just used them all up. He's thirsty. This, these pictures of a man who is weary, who is just so sorrowful. He doesn't know what. His eyes are just tired. What is he tired of? Well, look at the text. He's tired of calling out to God and getting no answer. Now, I know you don't think we're supposed to say that in church, but David does. He said, I, I'm, I'm tired. I'm crying. My, my, vo- my voice is parsed from crying out to God. My eyes are weary. I, he feels like that. You ever been up waiting on somebody to come in? Some, some of us are old enough to remember when you didn't have cell phones, you know? No life 360 to look at somebody and say, yeah, here they are. My goodness, they're still over in Charlotte. It's going to make me late going to bed. If she, if, I mean, it's 30 minutes if she can get home like, you know. But when you didn't have cell phones and you wasn't home, you're like, when are they ever going to get home? Your eyes are burning. You're sitting there going, oh, you're fussing. His eyes were burning from waiting for God to do something. So what did he do? He cried out to God. My boy Spurgeon said it this way. There are times when we should pray till the throat is dry and watch till the eyes grow dim. Only thus can we have fellowship with him in his sufferings. Mm. That's a sermon right there, isn't it? He was not only overwhelmed, he was outnumbered. Outnumbered, verse 4, more in the number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. They're everywhere. Like I said, we don't know his situation. Was it Saul chasing after him with his whole army behind him? We don't know. David's enemy was on the throne when he lived in a cave. This is one of the main points here to grab he's he's sorrowful because they hate him and he didn't do anything they hate me without cause i did not do anything to deserve this hate 
dare we go back in time and see a point in our history where this country hated people without cause. That's the, that's the lament. That's the sorrow that gets in somebody's soul that has to be dealt with. He is sorrowful. There's only one person that can do something about this sorrow. We learn in verse 4 too, the middle of verse 4, that they're usually the primary weapon, we've talked about this over and over, is the tongue. They spread lies about me. Look at the end of verse 4. Why should I be punished for something that I did not do? That's injustice. Right? I shouldn't be punished. I didn't do anything wrong. I was watching, I think this week or last week, I think it was on Netflix, they got a book. I think a guy's name that wrote the book is Grisham or something like that. The Innocent Man. And it, anyway, he was talking about uh, two men, actually, that got convicted of murder based off hair evidence back in the 80s. But in the 90s, when they developed DNA, they retested the hair evidence. And what they discovered was it wasn't their hair. You know, you can pick up a hair, put it under a microscope. Well, it looks like this guy's hair. DNA said it wasn't their hair. So for years, these guys, these guys were in prison. What was even more sorrowful? That one of the men received his freedom only to die a few years later an alcoholic. Sorrow is real. Especially if there's injustice. That's what's happening in David's life. Though innocent, he was treated as guilty. And the very people that should have comforted him joined in the melee. Don't miss the purpose of ongoing prayer. We're going to come back to this. This is a prayer. This is a song. And this is a prayer. This is a prayer that turned into a song. And the two main things I don't want you to miss, so I'm repeating myself. The first is he was hated without cause, so he prayed. He called out to God for help. Can I introduce you to somebody that I hope you already know? Jesus, the man of sorrows. It's not our description of him. It is the Bible's. Isaiah 53, verse 2 and 3 says of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of a dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, nor beauty that we should desire him. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid, hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. There's two aspects of Jesus' life that are, that are critical for us to understand as we study the life of Jesus Christ. And both of them are essential to our salvation. It is not just Jesus' death and resurrection that redeemed you, brothers and sisters. It was also His life. His life. That's what we're going to look at today. There's two aspects. One, one man separated it like this. I thought it was helpful. That Jesus had a penalty-bearing work in his life, and he had a will of God-obeying work in his life. A penalty-bearing work and a will of God-obeying work. And both brought your redemption. And listen, both brought in his life both sorrow and joy. 
Don't miss the point if I fail to, to make it. That if Jesus' life was filled with all of this, with a purpose designed by God, do you not think the sorrow in your life and the joy in your life is purposed? Started with Christ first. He was a man of sorrow and a man of joy. And it was all for a purpose. It was for our redemption. His life included pain and loss and temptation and blessing and victory and joy. Did Jesus ever pray the way the psalmist prays? When we got through singing the song, the the cup was not removed. When was the cup removed? When did he pray for the cup to be removed? Remember? The Garden of Gethsemane. He did pray this way. He teaches us to pray this way. To ask the Lord for what you will, but to be willing to walk the path that God has set to you. Jesus walked it first. They hated me without reason. This was quoted, by the way, in John 15, 25. This is the reason why I can say with confidence that Psalm 69 points to Jesus before it points to you. Why? Because Jesus said it did. Jesus said, they hated me without cause. By the way, he said, it was written. In other words, when David was praying, looking, he was looking forward. He was talking about me. What about us? Well, even us can't be understand without Christ. Hebrews, I know you noticed this. I say it, I've said it before. You can, I can hardly preach a passage and not connect it to Hebrews. Because if you, you want to connect your life to Jesus, you're going to end up in Hebrews. And by the way, if you're going to understand Hebrews, you've got to understand the Old Testament. Hebrews 5 verse 7 says this. Hebrews 5 verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who is able to save us from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Verse 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience. How? Through what he suffered. In being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. When we feel overwhelmed, we must pray and trust God to keep us, to comfort us, listen, and to teach us. We need Him. We need Christ for our everyday life, for these daily things that we don't understand, for these pressures, for these things to we sit going, I don't understand why this had to happen now. David says, Welcome. I get it. Let's pray. (laughs) What makes it hard during these times and these seasons is when the the hard blows in, sometimes it's hard to read our Bibles. Sometimes it's hard to pray. What we end up doing inevitably, if we're not careful, is to withdraw into isolation. This This is the reality that the enemy always has the same tools. He doesn't use different tools because they work very well. And we've all fell prey to them. Do you remember Jesus' disciples? The disciples were in the boat. The storm came. 
Jesus comes up walking on the water. We see Peter with his strong, expectant faith. So just, just call me out there. Jesus said, come on. Matthew 14, 22, we see Peter's shrinking faith providing a very good lesson, not only for Peter, but everybody in the boat. What was the lesson that day as, as Peter sunk? Said they, got, they understood that this was the Son of God. That was the lesson. Whether we sink or whether we walk, Jesus never changes. So pray. Right? That's the lesson. Hebrews 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest that is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one that in every respect was tempted as we are without sin. Therefore, let us then, verse 16, draw near and do what? When we draw near the throne of grace, what are we doing? Praying. So we could receive mercy and find grace. Some of us are not finding this grace and strength because you, you've been taught a poor version of a, and a false doctrine that says somehow I'm supposed to try to earn the approval of God by how I live and how I pray. This was the purpose of Jesus' life. Jesus earned the approval of God through His life, death, and resurrection. I live out of that approval. It's a whole lot better motivation for holiness than just try harder, just do it better, and maybe God won't be mad at you today. You need to spit that out because that's not the gospel. Slavery, just a form of oppression. Our life's work is to live based off what our Lord did. David had a sorrow that stemmed from the fact that Jesus was hated without cause. And so did our Lord. David's not done. <laughs> this is in typical lament fashion. We're just not supposed to pray three or four little lines and say, okay, God's tired of hearing me whine now. No, no, David had a situation, and he wanted to understand God to understand clearly his situation. And so he just kept going. This is teaching us how we should pray. Ironically, almost unexpectedly is verse 5. Look at it. So remember, remember the point. I'm being hated without cause. Right? This, you you want to feel how, how strange the verse 5 feels. You've got to get that. And then all of a sudden he says, Oh God, you know my folly. The wrongs that I have done are not hidden from you. So why here, in the midst of him saying, I, I haven't done anything to deserve this, would he say, Lord... You know how jacked up I am. I want you to see his, his humility. In the midst of injustice, he's not blame shifting. He's, he's acknowledging the fact that I have never had a perfect day in my life, God, and you know it. Even though what I'm going through, I did not deserve. He's being honest with God. Listen to me today. 
We will never be powerful unless we are first humble. Power is God's gift to humble children who realize that they are nothing without Him. And if you want to be powerful, humble yourself. That's what He's doing. He's not saying I somehow deserve this. He's not saying somehow I did something to cause this. He is simply prostrating himself before God, saying, God, you are perfect and I am not. Does not diminish his call for help. It empowers it. By contrast, let us think of our Lord's humility. For David had to pray, Lord, I need help. But you know I'm not a perfect man. Jesus never had to pray that. Because he came and was the perfect man. Every, think about this. Every human function that you will do today, Jesus had to humble himself and do. I mean, that's just, in a very real way, just overwhelming. <laughs> God, the Son... That points us to something, doesn't it? To our suffering servant, to our, the servanthood of Jesus Christ in the midst of our suffering. Matthew 20, 28 says, Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom for many. Turn with me to Romans 15. I want you to see another direct connection to this text. Psalm 69 and our Lord. A very practical. Romans 15. I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but it's for a purpose. Romans 15. Paul says to the church, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Verse 2. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. Now, where is he quoting? Psalm 69 and verse 9. The the point that this passage bleeds out and that Psalm 69 bleeds out is that since people hate God, they will hate you. Since they hated Jesus, they will hate you. Keep serving. Jesus did, and we're redeemed because of it. This is the power, by the way, that we speak of. We do not speak of secular power to take over countries and to manipulate people. We do not use our power to oppress the weak. Do you see it in the text? We use our power to build up people. Why would God give you something to abuse it and to abuse others? This is the power in the midst of our suffering. you got to grab that. In the midst of our suffering, God gives us the power not only to keep on praying, but to keep on serving. Here's how we respond to suffering that makes us more like our Lord. We can be no more like Christ 
than when you're serving others from your humility. We could say that another way. You could be no more powerful than when you serve other people in your humility. You see, in the midst of this humility, he's not lessening the fact that he's going through shame and reproach. That's what he's doing. He points it there for that direction. Verse 6 in Psalm 69 says, For it is for your sake that I have borne reproach. In other words, it's precisely because I am being the man, God, that you told me to be, or the woman that you told me to be, that I am going through what I am going through. We feel like the prophets. It simply spoke the truth and ended up in mud pits and sawn in two and, and every other sort of thing. David's Verse 7, David's enemies came out of his own house. They came from his own countrymen, his own people. Saul, who was Saul? Wasn't he an Israelite? His own people, from Saul to Absalom. He knew about shame, even from his brothers, even from his own family. Now think of Jesus and his shame and rejection. His greatest enemies were who? The religious elite of the day. Those who should have been looking for the Messiah were the ones who hated him the most. Can, can I show you something today? Where these attacks ultimately come from? What motivates them? We know the Matthew 5. These great beatitudes at the end. In Matthew 5 and verse 10. There's a blessing given to those who are suffering. It says, Matthew 5.10, Blessed are those who persecute you for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Hold that thought. Now look over to John 8 in verse 43. Jesus' physical enemies had a spiritual enemy motivating them. You grab that? Don't take my word for it. John 8, 43. says, why do you not, this is Jesus, why do you not understand what I say? I'll tell you why. <laughs> it is because you cannot bear to hear my words. Verse 44. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. So why are people mocking us and, and all of this when we are simply doing what God told us to do? Because they are doing exactly what their father tells them to do. It's what the Bible says. It can happen inside your own family. It can happen inside your own people. That's what he's showing. It happened with David's life. It happened with Jesus' life. And it's going to happen in your life if you do what the Lord says to do. That's the clarity of God's word. At the same time, David said, hasn't reduced my passion one little bit. David's passion, verse 9 for the zeal of your house has consumed me. And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Remember Romans 15? Quoted right here. Let's just think about that first line. 
For the zeal of your house has consumed me. What is it, this zeal? And what was it about? In the midst of all of this mess that was going on in his life. Where he could have just pulled away in a cave somewhere and said, woe is me. First I want you to see is the point of all of Psalms 119. Let me just read one verse. Psalms 119 and 139 says this. My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your word. Verse, verses 140 says this. Your promise is well tried and your servant loves it. It makes me angry that people have forgotten what your word said. Your word has been proven since the foundation of the world. I'm going st- I'm to I'm love it. I'm going to stick with it. God's word is meant to be consumed. It is meant to be enjoyed. You enjoying it today. Though he was going through suffering, he kept consuming God's word. Listen, sometimes whether it tastes good or not, praying, God, give me a passion. I've used this illustration before, but it's the best one I know of. It tells you what kind of guy I am. If you ask me on my, my wife asked me on my birthday, what do I want for my birthday? It's always going to be a couple of pies. It's probably not going to be a cake. I like lemon meringue pie. I like the kind. I like, I like two kinds of crust, but that graham cracker crust, you know, because that's the kind mama made. And, and I know some people like the meringue. I, I, it's okay. I eat that and get it out of the way. Right? But then I slow down, and I just peel that lemon off one little bit at a time. But I leave about a quarter of an inch. And I'm a machinist, and I know exactly how much a quarter of an inch is. I leave about a quarter of an inch to eat with the graham cracker crust. Just the right balance there. I take little small bites and cherish it. You, you, you see the passion there? That's what he's talking about. Right? You with me? That's, that's why Jesus taught the way he did, by the way. He could pull people in just like that. They're sitting there going, man, i got to find somebody with lemon meringue pie when I leave here. What did he talk about today, lemon meringue pie? That's not what I talked about today. Don't say that, kids. He's saying, do you love God's word that much? He did. It was zeal for God's word. That's what he's talking about. Psalms 132 said even more than that. That drove that was the zeal for God's presence. He wanted to rest in it. He wanted to abide in it. Listen to what, he, listen to what David's passion was. Psalms 132 verse 1. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured. Right? That's what we've been saying. How he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or go into my bed. I will not give my sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. And I'm trying not to be angry this morning, but, but I, I, I just can't imagine people that share the same doctrine as me. And to see children, kids, and students on their faces before God. And what we wondering about, how they're getting their schoolwork done. Or some kind of stupid question that like that. Is this not what David is saying? 
I have a passion for His Word that leads me into His presence. And I don't want to go anywhere else once I find that presence. He didn't want a temple to make much of himself. He simply wanted a place to illustrate this one truth. God is with me. Is that not what made Jesus mad in John chapter 2? Do you remember Jesus? By the way, direct parallel to Psalm 69. Do you remember? He goes into the temple. What does he see? Remember, what did he see? All of this trade. By the way, when you get a bunch of animals together, what do they do on the floor? You with me? Yeah, yeah, I I got pigs and dogs and everything else and chickens. I I know what they do, right? That's what he saw when he came into the place that was supposed to illustrate that in God's presence there is holiness. In God's presence there is safety. In God's presence there is refuge for the broken and safety. It was the place of shalom in the midst of chaos. Instead, they had brought chaos into the house of God and used to make money off of it. How dare some guy in a robe get up and tell you, plant your seed. Jesus would hear, he cleaned that place out. Love is not love if hate is not attached to it, for you will hate what God hates. You must hate if you are going to love. Let somebody hurt the one you love, and you'll find out how true that is. What drove this thing in Jesus' life was John 17. Remember what Jesus wanted more than anything? To be back with his Father. The presence of Of God. Jesus longed for it. It was passion that drove Jesus' obedience. It was an all-consuming passion for the will of the Father. It, It consumed it at every point in his life. It consumed everything that he did. We see it in David's life pointing to the one, to Jesus. He was consumed with his Father's glory, his Father's will, and his Father's love. And as a result of that life, He was mocked. In John 8, 39, the religious leaders accused him of being born out of wedlock because they didn't believe what happened to Mary. They said, we're not born out of immorality. Basically saying, like you. When God is working, we can always count on a demonically driven mockers to be there Jeering on the very work of the Holy Spirit. And listen, it is dangerous to join in. It's dangerous. Jesus endured mocking at every point in his ministry. He was chased. He was pursued from town to town as he did what his father said. And what about us? Romans 15, 20 says, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. They keep my word, they're going to keep yours. 2 Timothy 3.12 said, All who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. That's the reality of God's word. It's the reality, listen, of our life. What is David's solution? Three Ps here. 
It's maybe all we have time for, and it is, it is. I'll pick right up where we leave off next week. David's solution is back to one point that we need to make sure we get, his passion. That's what drives verse 13. Yes, all this is true. I am imperfect. People, people are, ma- are making me suffer. I didn't do anything wrong. I lay it out there before God. All of that is true. Verse 13, but as for me, I would have put resolve again here, but I had to have a word with an S in it because I'm a preacher. You know, so I used the word solution. But it's really, it's really resolve. It's his passion gets him to a point. This is my, but as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. He used the word Lord there. Remember I told you that's rare in this book, this second book of Psalm. It's rare. It points to that covenant God. It's where we see, we see that him understanding steadfast love, saving faithfulness. You see it? That's what covenant love is. That's what a covenant God does. That's what he's holding on to. Nobody else loves me that way. Nobody else proved to me the way God has proven it to me. I'm not trusting in them. And oh my goodness, that acceptable time. That's a hard one, isn't it? (laughs) Acceptable time. That means I got to wait on him, doesn't it? Trusting in his timing is the hardest part of faith. His timing is not always our timing. Listen, we have to add this, this kind of praying, this lament praying into our grief healing. In this world where they, they give you a diagnosis and a pill that does not heal, but will cause you to get stuck right in the midst of your grief, add lament praying into your grief healing. It allows us to fight. It allows us to rest on his timing. And then it eventually allows us to accept his will as good and perfect. Whether he puts us on the mountaintop or leaves us in the valleys, he said, I'm going to be here with you. Don't miss the passion. I'm afraid some of us don't have this passion. That's why I came back to it again. Passion for God is emotionalism, lest it is rooted in a passion for His Word. Biblical passion is a Word-centered passion. We must have passion for His God, as David did, for our God. We must pray. That's his point. I pray, and I pray, and I pray, and then I wait, and I wait, and I wait. Psalms 109.4, in, re- in return for my love, <laughs> this, is, this just means something. This will connect you to your pain here. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. I love these people, and for that love, they hurt me. So I pray, because God never has. You see that? It's important in your lament, healing. In the midst of your grief over what people really do to call it what it is to God. But then to say, I will pray at all times in the Spirit, Ephesians 6. 
with all prayer and supplication. And I need to keep alert. I need to persevere. That's our third P. Persevere. That's what the rest of this is saying. Verses 14 to 15, 16, 17. Deliver me. Verse 16. Hurry up. (laughs) Hurry up. I'm waiting, but man, answer me. Why? Because Because of your love, because of your mercy, because you are good, because you're perfect and I'm not. David knew just like that woman with the issue of blood knew. All I got to do is to get close to him and touch him. And everything going to be all right. Just doesn't that what he says in verse 18. I just, God, want to draw near to you. And so today as we end, turn with me back to a text that we've mentioned to John 15. A lot of things we could say. It's one thing we must say. There is a there is a purpose for your pain. First Peter one six. They've already read that. Rewatch the sermon if you want to look at that again or look at it again. I want you to see John fifteen, John fifteen verse twenty. Remember this text. We'd already read it. You're not greater than your master. You're not greater than Jesus. Though you may have heard teaching that declares that you are, that teaching was wrong. You are not greater than Jesus. And Jesus suffered. And so will you. Look at verse 25. But the word of God was written in their law, we must be fulfilled. They hated me. Without cause. Verse 26. Listen. But when the helper comes. Whom I will send to you from the father. The spirit of truth. Who proceeds from the father. He will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness. Because you have been with me. From the beginning. Do you see the but when there. In verse 26. But when the Holy Spirit comes. That in the midst of your suffering, God is going to make you a witness. And listen, that's a purpose in the pain. I would not trade the last two years of my life for anything. Because I have experienced God more in the last two years than I have my whole life long. And that's simply what pain does in our life. God wants to make a testimony out of your life. Your life. So He has made you the way He has made you. And He has brought you through what He has brought you through. So that you may realize, I am a child of a God, a spirit-filled child of the King. And God has caused these things to happen in my life. And brought me through them to set me on a hill. So that I can relate to people that went through the same things that I go through. And to bear witness that my Jesus is enough. That's what he's teaching us today. Don't miss that point. We must, rather than run from lament, we must embrace it. So that we might find Jesus, who is our rest. So that we might find Jesus, 
who is our healing. We need to do this. We must lament so that we can end up in the very presence of God. It takes the healing of lament to embrace the power that gives you a testimony. In other words, can I just say it as plain as I know how? You must deal with your stuff so that you can make Christ look good in your life. And it is worth spending days on your face if only you might experience God. To know Him and the power of His resurrection and to experience Him in the midst of His suffering. Let's pray to God. And so now, Lord... We have come to this part of the service that we call our response. Lord, we don't seek to manufacture things here. We simply tell you what David says, Lord. uh, We long to be in your presence. We long to not be the same when we leave here. Because the power of God rested upon us. Some of us may have never felt that before. Visit us today as you promised that you would be. Allow us to admit and to confess here, Lord. I didn't come in here this morning expecting anything. And for that, I repent. Oh, God. That you would change our expectation. Change the longing of our soul. To say, Lord, I can't go through next week without your presence and your power. I'm tired of living in survival mode. I want to know you. And if suffering is what it takes to know you, then I trust you. And so, Lord, we just want to love you well this morning. We want to worship you. We want to enjoy you. As we come to the tables, Lord, we... Look forward to that day to when we will feast at the table with you in a new heaven, in a new earth, with new bodies, perfect desires in your presence. But Lord, we are still here, and life is still hard. So some of us, Lord, just need to start our lamenting right here. And I pray this would be a safe place for that to happen. So, Lord, we need you. I need you. Move among us, we pray, Lord, as we sing, as we worship. 
For without you, we can do nothing. But with you, the very gates of hell can't stand against us. You be glorified, Lord, in these few minutes as we worship however long it takes. May we not rush the work of your Spirit in our time together. We ask for it in Jesus' name.